Okay, so we are in the middle of a series called The Gospel of Mark, and the reason why it's called The Gospel of Mark is because we're going through The Gospel of Mark. Pretty creative title, right? Um, um, and we are actually preaching through the whole Gospel of Mark, um, 16 chapters. Uh, this is week 12 of the series, and we're in chapter 2 still. Um, yeah, last week we took kind of a... Uh, a detour, or not a detour, but we jumped forward ahead to chapter 16. The week before that, we jumped ahead to chapter 15, but now we're back to where we left off before that. And so today we are looking at Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. And so as I begin this lesson today, I want to ask a question. Have you ever dealt with a season in life when others acted as if you could do nothing right. You ever been in a season like that? It seemed like you could never please anybody. It seemed like everything you did was wrong to somebody else, you know? Being in ministry for over 27 years, I can testify to the fact that there have been times, there have been experiences in my life when people have criticized my efforts and challenged my motives. Uh, for me, uh, it seemed as if everything I tried to accomplish was met with skepticism and resentment. What I want you to know today as we are traveling through Mark and as we are continuing uh, to see uh, the ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus unfold, if you have dealt with these kind of difficulties, you're not alone. Amen? So far, much of the gospel that we have been studying of Mark has revealed that Jesus faced the same kind of environment. Everything he did was scrutinized. Every word he said examined and challenged. The Pharisees, they weren't looking to learn from Jesus or follow him. They were scoping his life and his ministry in hopes of finding fault to justify their accusations. Yet in spite of their actions, Jesus remains committed to the task placed before him. He refused to allow the criticism of others to sidetrack his attention from fulfilling the plan of God. And that's what we're looking at in this series. More than anything, what I am hoping that is developing through this study of Mark is an understanding of how Jesus fulfilled the plan of God and through our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ, and we are disciples, 
If you have made a profession to Jesus Christ, if you have come to an altar, if you have sat in a chair, if you've crawled in the corner, if you've sat in some dark place or some silent place or you've sat with someone, wherever it may be, and you have said, Jesus, please forgive me of who I have been I want you to come into my life. I want to live for you. If you have repented and believed, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. The challenge for us is the following, because disciples of Jesus Christ are called to repent, believe, and follow. I know you guys are thinking, Pastor, you say that every Sunday. Okay, repent, believe, follow. Repent, believe, follow, okay? Well, the plan that Jesus laid out, the plan that Jesus has developed is the plan that makes it possible for you and I to follow him. And following him means we acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, we acknowledge him as King, and we live in obedience to him. And so today what I want to talk to you a little bit in these verses here is I want to talk to you about one of the commands that he has given us, one of the things that you and I are challenged to do if we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the Sabbath, all right? And so what I'm going to do over the next few minutes is I'm going to break down each one of these verses, 23 through 28. And aren't you glad that it's not any more verses than that, okay? Because I'm going to break down each one of them, all right? And so we're going to start with the confrontation that takes place in this passage of Scripture. Because, see, as we begin this paragraph, what we discover is we discover that Jesus was immediately confronted by the Pharisees yet again. Back to that, nothing he could do was right in their eyes. And so it begins by the Pharisees attacking the activity of his disciples at the moment. And so verse 23, go ahead and put that up there on there. It says, on the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. So, as Jesus and his disciples are journeying on this Sabbath day, they're walking through some kind of field, grain, something, okay? Now, often during this period of time, the paths that people would walk, at times, they would actually go through the fields of harvest, and travelers, as they would travel these paths, as they would go through the different fields of harvest, it was permitted, okay, for them to gather maybe a, a handful uh, of the grain as they walked through the field. And so likely as they're walking through the field, they're, they're in a wheat field or maybe a barley field. I don't know what kind of field it was. But as the disciples are following Jesus, ministering with him, they get hungry. Do you ever do ministry and get hungry? I'm hungry all the time. And so they're walking through the field and they get healthy. These are, these are healthy young men, okay? 
I mean, some of these guys are in their teens, so that basically means they're eating 24 hours a day. And so they're walking through the fields, and I imagine, you know, Peter and John, and they're like, yeah. you know? Oh, that one was good. You know? They're eating, okay? They're doing what they do. Now, I have no idea why there are Pharisees hanging out in the fields at this time of day. Why they're there. It's like the paparazzi. They're like hiding, I don't know. And they pop up or whatever. I don't know exactly what happens. But the Pharisees show up and they get upset, okay? They're wanting to know why these men dare to gather on the Sabbath. You see, they're within their right gathering something as they journey, but these men, they dare to gather on the Sabbath? Now, granted, they were not laboring in the harvest field, but they did pluck a few handfuls of grain. So we go on to verse 24, and the accusations begin to fly, all right? And it says, The Pharisees said to him, Look, I added that like, was that like, you know, I wanted to give it kind of some drama. You guys wake up a little bit. Look, like that. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You see, as was typically the case, the Pharisees, they never seemed to be far away closely scrutinizing every move Jesus and his disciples made. And so after they saw the disciples pick some grain, they immediately confront Jesus about the actions of his disciples. These men were accused of acting unlawfully in gathering grain. Now I want you to catch this. The Pharisees They weren't upset the disciples had gathered a few handfuls from another man's field, okay? They weren't accusing them of stealing or anything like that. They were upset because such activity took place on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is real, so let's, let's just realize, while God uh, had forbidden men to work on the Sabbath, this activity here did not constitute work as defined by God. He forbade work for profit to take place. That's what we're talking about on the Sabbath. Harvesting the grain to make a profit would have been unlawful on the Sabbath, but not gathering a few handfuls of grain to eat. You see, the problem here, and this is what I want you to focus on for a second, the problem was that the Pharisees had added tremendous burdens to the law of God that our Lord never intended. 
You see, over the years, anything that had the slightest appearance of work had become forbidden according to the laws of, now let me just say this, according to the laws of men, all right? But not according to the law of God. Let me just share with you some of the ridiculous expectations of the Pharisees regarding the Sabbath. I just, wanna, I just want you to get, kind of get a taste of this, okay? Here are some things that you could not do on the Sabbath. Couldn't drink water. People were forbidden from traveling more than 3,000 feet from their home on the Sabbath. Does anybody know what 3,000 feet is? How far is that? Yeah. A Jewish person could not carry an object that weighed more than a dried fig. But an object that weighed half that amount could be carried twice. Uh, this is real stuff here, okay? One could eat on the Sabbath, could eat nothing larger than an olive. You cannot throw an object in the air with one hand and catch it with the other. So apparently there's no juggling on the Sabbath. <laughs> All right? Yeah. If the Sabbath came upon you, like as if it's going to sneak up on you. Oh, no, there's the Sabbath. <laughs> Where'd that come from, you know? If the Sabbath came upon you as you were reaching out for some food, oh, it's the Sabbath. You would have to drop the food before you pulled your arm back. Otherwise, you would be guilty of carrying a burden on the Sabbath. Nothing can be bought and sold. We're all going to hell. Just want you to know that. Don't go out for dinner after church today. You're, you're done. All right? Clothing could not be washed or dried on the Sabbath. I'm okay with that. A letter could not be sent on the Sabbath. A fire could not be lit or extinguished. If you failed to light your lamp before the Sabbath, you had to sit in the dark until the next evening. This is, this is real stuff here, okay? Jewish people could not take a bath on the Sabbath. Not liking that one. If they did, some of the water might splash onto the floor, and this would be considered washing the floor. Chairs or other heavy objects could not be moved because dragging them might make a furrow in the ground. That's a ditch in the ground, and that would be considered plowing. A woman could not look into a looking glass because she might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out. A Jewish tailor could not carry a needle on the Sabbath lest he be tempted to mend a torn garment. And finally, it was against the law to tie or untie a knot to sew stitches or prepare food. Now, these are just a few of the things, okay? I thought these were the interesting ones myself because I'm struggling with all of these all the time, <laughs> especially that carrying a needle around. That is one of my biggest struggles. Now, 
This may seem ridiculous to us today, but the reality of it is is that if we're not careful, we can see the same attitudes that we see in the Pharisees take shape in our lives and around us even today. Well-meaning people often demand and expect actions or behaviors that have no basis in Scripture. You see, the first thing that I want us to grab a hold of today is the reality that we have to be careful. We must be careful as the body of Christ that we don't become legalistic in our expectations. You see, in the church of God, and I hope that this is the case in every church, but in the church of God specifically, we have a proclamation. In the church of God movement, we have very few, if any, documents that are written as far as you know, man-made documents that we write about belief and theology. Okay, we have a whole lot of books and things like that that people have written about opinions and what we say, how we interpret Scripture. But as a church, as a movement as a whole, we make a stand that says our sole authority is found in the Word of God. In other words, we don't have some document that tells us what this is our document, the Bible. This is our document. And as the church, as body as the body of believers, as individuals, we have to be careful that we make sure that we base our soul authority and belief on the Word of God and the Word of God. We will be judged someday, and I'm going to say this as clearly as I can. We will be judged someday according to the Word, not according to the preferences of people. And so this morning, I want you to grab a hold of this, that as we're talking about the Sabbath today, in the beginning, what Jesus is dealing with, with the Pharisees here, is he's dealing with a lot of man-made stuff, a lot of things that has taken the Word of God and expanded it and, and, and shaped it into what we want it to be. And we need to be careful that that doesn't happen in our church, it doesn't happen in our ministries, it doesn't happen in our lives, Okay? Now, I realize that we all have preferences. There are things that we prefer, and there are things that we don't prefer. There are things that we wish we'd see and things we wish we wouldn't see. But when we make decisions about what is right and what is wrong and what someone ought to do or ought not to do, we must be very careful that it lines up with the Word of God. Because if it lines up with anything but the Word of God, it's not from Him. Amen? All right, so let's move on to this. We're going to go to verse 25 and 26, okay? And so this is going to be the response, all right? So following the, the confrontation of the Pharisees, Jesus responds to their accusations, all right? So in verse 25, he says, he says this. He says to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry. He is getting ready to set them up big time here. Just want you to know that. 
You see, it's interesting that Jesus, he doesn't engage in a heated discussion with the Pharisees or even mention uh, the accepted laws of the day, all right? He doesn't try to justify the actions of the disciples, nor does he condemn them, all right? He simply asks if they have ever read the account of David and his men being hungry. And Jesus, what he's doing is he's making a profound point here. How does the word of God handle this matter? I'm not concerned with how you handle this matter, he's saying to the Pharisees. What I'm concerned about is how does the word of God handle this matter? You see, sadly, many people in our day possess the same toxic, legalistic attitude that we see in the Pharisees today. Nobody in this church, okay? I have never suffered from this. But we see it around us all the time, and yes, we do see it in our lives if we want to be truthful and honest at times. We see the same toxic, legalistic attitude pop out in our own lives if we're not careful. You see, while much of what they demand has no biblical basis, they, command, they continue to demand others to conform to their demands. That's what's going on here. Often such bias is rooted in the thoughts of teachings of those around us. I think about how this takes shape in our culture today. So, I grew up in the church my whole life, all right? Born in 1969. Just made it barely into the 60s. All right? Yes. That means I'm going to... Uh, let's not talk about that right now. In the 60s and in the 70s, from the pulpit, and there's stats that show that there's, there's references that guarantee... In the theological realm, in the 60s and the 70s, if you didn't preach against short skirts on women and long hair on men, you really hadn't preached. Yeah. Any of you suffer from that? Did any, anybody here? Who, who wore short skirts? I don't want to know. Who had long hair, man? I, Steve Munt's not in here, but I saw his hair. <laughs> He's back teaching the kids right now. Probably need Marcy. You need to go remove him. <sighs> in the 80s, in the 80s, it was, for those of you who grew up in the 80s, it was rock music. Oh, man. Any of you guys remember backmasking? Come on, none of you remember that? I remember it. I went to I don't know how many conferences about backmasking. And I'm not saying it's legit or not legit, but most of the time they would play the music backwards and it would go, and we would translate. Oh, there went Steve. He didn't hear me. He walked by. Good. And they would translate it. It would go, and all of a sudden they'd be, did you hear that? Satan lives. Satan lives. No, but, but, but you, know, it was, you know, it was like that. I was called out one time in the 80s. I'm a pastor's kid, by the way. I just want you to grab a hold of that one. At a state youth convention, because I showed up at the convention wearing 
bright red parachute pants, and a turquoise sleeveless cham shirt. <laughs> I had a bandana around my neck, had one tied around this knee. Gets better, gets better. I had a white sparkly glove. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I was told. I was told that that kind of dress and that kind of behavior was of the devil. Remember in the 80s when we used to wear the, for those of you who grew up in the 80s, remember when we used to wear their workout gloves now, but we used to wear them for, for fashion, you know? They didn't have any fingers on them. I used to wear those. <laughs> oh, it was cool. I was told, true story, had a guy pull me out of his camp meeting. I love camp meeting. I miss camp meeting. But he pulled me aside, said to me, do you know that those gloves that you're wearing right there, that those gloves are the same kind of gloves that they wear in the satanic church when they hold the satanic Bible and they read it. Now, I was a little bit of a sarcastic, ornery kid in my teens. <laughs> I know that's kind of hard. But I turned to this guy after he said that to me and I said, do you know that those jeans that you're wearing are the same jeans they're wearing while they're wearing my gloves reading that Bible. <laughs> I got in trouble from my dad later on that one. <laughs> don't get me wrong, folks. Listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating immodesty. I'm not advocating listening to stuff that corrupts our minds. I believe that there's a lot of stuff out there that as followers of Jesus Christ, we should distance ourselves from. We should separate ourselves from. I'm not, I'm not in any way uh, advocating a, a lack of respect for our Lord and Savior. I believe that we need to understand at a deeper level what it means to be reverent and holy before the God of the universe. I'm not, I'm not against that in any way, shape, or form. However, it is easy, if we're not careful, to develop flawed doctrines that are widely accepted and expected that have no biblical basis. And today, what we need to understand, as followers of Jesus Christ, there is a world who, that is lost. There is a world that is struggling and suffering, that, there, that is a void and an emptiness in their lives, that we know the truth. We know that it is Jesus Christ that fills that void. And if we start slinging around false stuff, we will never be able to reach those for Jesus Christ. If it's not in here, be careful. Amen? Now, let's continue, okay? 
So he continues to tell the story about David, okay? So in verse 26, he goes, he tells how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, okay? This is the showbread, okay? Which is not lawful for anyone to eat except for the priest. And also, not only did he do that, but he gave some of that bread to his camp companions, all right? So that's what it says in verse 26. So just in case the Pharisees were unfamiliar with the passage, Jesus offers specific details to a reference of Scripture. What he's talking about here, it's 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse uh, 1 through 6. You can go back and read that on your own, okay? But So what happened here is David... King David, you guys, well, he wasn't king at the moment, but he went into the tabernacle and he ate of the showbread reserved for the priest to eat alone. I'm not exactly sure why they got to eat it alone, but anyway, he gave, and, and then he gave some of it to his men. And David, here in this passage, David, he's not acting in rebellion toward God. It's not like he's sneaking in looking for the bread. You know, it's not like he was sneaking in doing something. He, he, he wasn't acting in rebellion toward God, uh, but he desired to meet the immediate need in a life or death situation. They were starving, they needed food, and it was the only food that was in front of them. Now, if David was justified in the eyes of God for eating reserved bread for the priest then the disciples would certainly be justified in disregarding man-made laws and expectations when they were eating with Jesus himself. Amen? You see, Jesus did not condone or he didn't encourage or condone willful disobedience, but the point remained how does the word of God handle the situation or how does the word of God handle the matter? I would never encourage anyone to willfully disobey the direct teachings of scripture, but we must have scripture to back up our claims. If we are making claims and this does not back it, we better be very careful about how the Holy Spirit is working in us in what we are claiming. You see, there are preachers that believe a man must wear a, a suit if he stands in the pulpit. I try to wear a jacket a couple times a year. Not real good at it. Matter of fact, uh, I'm bad at it. You saw that a couple weeks ago. But where is it at in the Scripture? Where is it at in the scripture? Thou shalt, when you preach, wear a two-piece suit and tie. It's nowhere in the scripture. We must be careful, and I wasn't, I hope, no, I'm not offending anybody. If you want to wear a suit and tie, go for it, man. I, I, I got suits and ties. I like them, you know. They're just too hot. I'm already hot up here in a long sleeve shirt. We must be careful that we don't add legalistic preferences to what the Lord expects. It is not our job nor responsibility, nor are we allowed to add or take away from this. 
And we must understand that such activity reeks of legalism and it robs believers of the liberty that they ought to be enjoying in their walk with the Lord. You see, I want you to know something, and I think that we need to be responsible for this. There are a lot of people who skip the whole church scene due to the legalistic expectations that they have experienced in their life. I hope and I pray that is never the case with us. Amen? Now this leads me to the last part of the passage of Scripture that I want to talk about today, and this is verse 27 and 28, and this is what I would basically call the clarification of Jesus. So I want, you, I, I want you to know, as I began, we're talking about the Sabbath, and we're going to get to the Sabbath, okay? But I want you to listen to what Jesus has to say about the Sabbath here in these two passages. The first in verse 27, Jesus lays out the purpose of the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You see, what Jesus addresses here is he addresses the major error in their thinking and theology regarding the Sabbath, okay? You see, when God originally instituted the Sabbath, commanding people to observe the Sabbath, he did so for man's benefit. He did so for our benefit. The Sabbath was created and designed for you and for I, me, I, we, us. It was for our benefit. God made the Sabbath day for us. He didn't create man simply so he would have someone to observe the Sabbath. You know, I, I, I can't, I mean, imagine God's, you know, walking around up in heaven. He's like, I got this Sabbath thing. I got to figure out what I'm going to do with this Sabbath thing, man. All right, I'm just going to, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to create a race of people so that they can obey the Sabbath. That's not the way it works, okay? You guys didn't laugh at that. I thought that was funny. Okay? <laughs> okay, that's a little extreme. <laughs> The Sabbath was created for us, not us for the Sabbath. And that is what Jesus is saying here. You see, God desires his people to have a day of rest and communion with him. He wants humanity to benefit and, 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 and to experience and enjoy their presence with him. Sabbath was not created to be a burden all right you see what had happened here is the pharisees had so restricted the sabbath that it was no longer an enjoyable day of rest and reflection i mean people walked around worried whether they were walking too many steps whether they were lifting too much whether they had had flipped the lights on or flipped them off they were worried about whether they're you know whether whether they had you know created enough food for the 24-hour period i mean it was a, it was a burden that's what had been created and that's not what god intended the sabbath to ever be 
And Jesus makes it clear. He says, the Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath. And then he just puts the icing on the cake in verse 28. He sets the priority above the Sabbath when he says this, so then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm in charge here, not you. You see, Jesus revealed the great tragedy in this dispute. You see, the Pharisees were so concerned with keeping every tradition regarding the Sabbath in an effort to keep it holy, and yet they failed to see Jesus as the Christ. They placed much more emphasis on a particular day of the week than they did on the Savior and Redeemer of their souls. He should have been the priority instead of a commitment to keeping the demands and traditions of men. I'm sad to say today, in some places, in some circumstances, in some situations, I'm sad to say, but I believe this tragedy remains even today at times. You see, I know people who attend services every Sunday, but they cannot enjoy worshiping the Lord because they're so consumed with meeting the demands and the expectations of others. I hope that that doesn't take place in this place. I hope that when you come to worship here, you're not concerned about what other people think about you or what other people know about you or whether other people think you're wearing the right clothes or doing the right things or, or reading your Bible enough or attending enough services. I hope that when you attend service here, you are able to worship and focus on the Lord. Yet there are some who cannot enjoy worshiping the Lord because they are so consumed with meeting the demands and expectations of others. There are others that can't focus on worshiping the Lord because they're so busy policing the behavior of others. Again, I hope there's no one here like that. But I've experienced that in my years of ministry. I'm not going to lie to you. I've experienced people that the only reason they came to church was to point out the flaws and the faults of everybody else. And all of their focus was on those around them, whether that person over there was as good of a Christian as they were. You can't worship, you cannot experience true worship when all you're doing is being concerned about those around you. Listen, if there is people in your life, if there are people in your lives that you are concerned about their walk with the Lord, pray about it, take it to the Lord. Don't let it come between you and worshiping the Lord. We have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters. I agree with that. But our greater responsibility is to our praise and worship of our Heavenly Father, of making sure that He is Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen. Others don't worship because they have determined they can't. That, that, let, me say, let me see how I'm going to say this without getting in trouble. Well, there's no way I'm going to say it without getting in trouble. 
There are others that don't worship because they have determined that they can only worship to a certain style of music or a specific translation of the Bible or a certain type of a building. Where in Scripture does it say that when we worship, we have to use a specific style or type of music, that we need to use a specific translation of the Bible? Quite honestly, if we're going to use a real translation, we probably ought to use the Greek and Hebrew. How many of you know Greek and Hebrew? If I were to get up here next Sunday and preach in Hebrew and Greek, how many of you would just love that? That'd probably be the fastest way for me to empty the building. Today I'm going to speak in Greek. And everybody's going to say, it's Greek to me. <laughs> Where in the scripture does it say that the church, the building, has to look a certain way? We're meeting in an old KC hall that used to be a roller skating rink. You know, there are people that won't come to this church. Do you realize that because it was an old KC hall and it was an old skating rink and because we don't have a cross out on the front of the building or a steeple on the top? Where is that in Scripture? I don't know about you, but I am thankful for Sundays. And I believe every believer ought to look forward to being in the house of God and reverence the Lord's day itself. But I'm going to tell you right now, if our demands and expectations regarding Sunday cloud our view of the Savior, then we have missed the purpose of Sunday all together. Amen. We must come in an attitude of worship. We don't come here to get worship. We come with an attitude of worship, not an attitude of criticism, desiring, we come desiring to hear from the Lord through His Word, not to observe or command or, or examine the behaviors of others. We come here because Jesus Christ is Lord. And though none of us deserve his love and acceptance he gives it to us unconditionally willingly you see I like to enjoy Sundays at the house of God and I be honest with you I plan to continue doing so okay whether or not others do or not you know I want you to know this sermon is not for you guys this is for you to go share it with your you're struggling friends, right? Okay. I love you guys. 
As we wrap this up, I, I, I want to ask you some questions that bring this all together as the team comes up here. And, and, and the first question I want to ask you is this. How are you doing with Sabbath? I want you to examine that just for a second in your life. Because what I want you to know in this passage of Scripture that as we're looking at this, the Sabbath is not designed to be something that, that constrains you or puts you into bondage or causes hardship or heartache for you. The Sabbath is literally to be a time of rest, healing. It's a time to focus on the Lord. It's a time to experience and enjoy the goodness of God. My wife and I, we try so much, so hard to have a Sabbath every week. Some weeks we do good at it, some two weeks we don't. We try on Friday afternoons about 1, one o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, we try to say, okay, we're going to begin our Sabbath. And, and we'll do things like we'll go out and get some lunch because, you know, we like to eat food, all right? You know, you see it on Facebook all the time, all right? Maybe we'll go see a movie or something. We'll hang out together. We'll, we'll do things that allow us to experience the joys that God has given us. We'll spend some time reflecting on Him. You know, I think the Sabbath ought to be a time when you are reflecting on the Lord, seeing His goodness, understanding what He has done for you. And we try to do that every week because what I have discovered in my life is that when I take Sabbath serious, the other six days of my life go so much better. What I want you to understand this morning is that the Sabbath is a gift to us. It's not a burden. And so I'm not saying this to put a burden on you. I'm just asking you, how are you doing with Sabbath? Listen, the Lord wants you to rest. The second question that I want to ask you is how are you doing making Christ the priority of your life? You see, the Pharisees here in this passage of Scripture, Christ was not the priority in their life in any way, shape, or form. And you could argue, well, they didn't really know that he was the Christ at that point. They were struggling. No, I, I don't buy that, man. They knew. They just didn't want it. How are you doing making Christ the number one priority in your life? Because I want you to know this today. There's no struggle that you go through there's nothing that you face. There's nothing that you experience in life that Christ can't help you through, that Christ can't help you solve, that Christ doesn't want to walk with you through. If you make him first priority in your life, I promise you, I promise you, there will be no obstacle there will be no mountain you face that you won't be able to get over. Now, there will be mountains. There will be obstacles. There will be valleys. There will be struggles. We all know that. But you won't face them alone. You see, if we commit to 
obedience to Christ, everything else will fall in place. What we need to do is we need to process our thoughts in light of the Scripture, not our opinions, not the opinions of others. And if there's a need in our lives, we need to bring it to Jesus because He alone can provide our needs. Would you stand with me this morning? I know that this passage covered a whole lot this morning. And so the things that I want to challenge you with today is the possibility that maybe some legalism has crept into your life at some point or other in your life because I know that it has in my life. What are you going to do with that today? Are you going to hang on to it or are you going to lay it at the feet of Jesus? Some of you in this room today, maybe you are struggling with the hurt and the burden of some of the ramifications of legalism and how it has affected your life. And it has caused you to be hesitant about serving Jesus. It has caused you to be hesitant about surrendering. What I want you to know today is that you can lay that at his feet and be set free. You don't have to carry that hurt anymore because he loves you and he loves you unconditionally. Finally, some of you in this room may be struggling with the priority issue. You want Jesus to be first, but there's just a lot of things that just keep jumping on top of that. And I'm just going to tell you right now, in the world that we live right now, that's natural, and unless you become intentional about keeping him first, there will always be something that jumps in front. And it takes a daily dying to the self, a daily surrendering to stay on track. But he's there with you all the way. This morning as they lead us in this final song, the altars are open. If God is speaking to you right now, come spend some time with him. If you want somebody to pray with you, just lift your hand when you get up here and somebody will be down there to pray with you immediately. If you want to just spend some time on your own, just come up here and let him speak to you today. There's communion set all the way around. If you need communion brought to you, raise your hand and someone will bring it to you. But this morning, more than anything, let the Lord speak to you. So open your ears and be ready to listen. Amen? God, we love you so much. I thank you for being a part of what you're doing. And I pray each and every day that we will step out of the way so that you can be first in our life. I pray this in your precious name. Amen.